I spent the last three years learning from some of the best business minds inside the game of basketball. And now I've left my nine to five to create freedom and have fun while doing it. So the question is, how are hoopers and basketball fanatics like us using those same skills that gave us success on the court to give us success in our new sport of business? This podcast will give you the answer. Join me as I learn, apply, share knowledge, and change lives through the game that changed mine. My name is Myson Jones, and welcome to the Basketball to Business Podcast. Coach, how's it going? Coach Shane Hennon, thank you for joining. I'm good, man. It's good to be here. I've been listening to your guys' uh, your stuff for a while. I love the uh, I love the business stuff. So you guys are kind of the only podcast that that actually talks in depth about that stuff. So it's good to be on. It's good to meet you. Thanks. What are you trying to to get from it? I mean, you you have a pretty good following. I'm I'm assuming you're pretty successful with it because you've been doing it for a while. What are you looking to get from those podcasts? Um, honestly, just, it's like, uh, you know, you can learn some stuff, but also there's stuff that's like, uh, just kind of confirms that you're doing a good job and you're hearing other people's stories. And I think, you know, when you hear about basketball trainers, they talk a lot, like we just talked about, they talk a lot about skill stuff. They talk about a lot of the good stuff, but, um, I've noticed in your podcast, they kind of talk about the struggles a little bit and stuff that maybe isn't said all the time. So it's good to actually hear those stories. I think it kind of um, gives a little bit of relief to myself and probably some other trainers just to hear that other guys are going through similar issues or, you know, similar situations as, as I am. I really look forward to hearing about the online space because very few people are able to have an online presence at a scale at presence at a scale where it actually can make any kind of economical sense. So who else do you respect in the space that has an online presence that you have listened to or that you watch? Oh man. Um, you know, I know basketball immersion has a huge podcast. I think, uh, I listen to a little bit of those guys, but it's, it's a lot of just the basketball stuff. What I'm trying to get to is, I want to learn more about business. And actually I hosted a camp here in Sioux Falls with DJ Sackman. And that was one of the main conversations that we had was just talking businessmen, like talking um, about how to do things and how to kind of live most importantly, live like a happy life doing this stuff. So you're not Mm -hmm. stuck in a situation where, you know, you got to be on court 24 seven to make a living because that's just not ideal and it's not realistic. So DJ was a big mentor to me. Uh, another guy, Reed OC. Um, he's been the biggest mentor in my life. Uh, he's up in Minneapolis, which is about a couple hours away from me. So him and I are on phone calls weekly and we're just talking about, you know, everything, basketball, life, business. Um, he was the guy that, uh, I learned so much from, um, he had posted a, like an Instagram story that he needed some, uh, rebounding help. And I was four hours away and the workout was like at eight in the morning. I was like, dude, can I come I'll, you know, I'll do whatever. I was just beginning at the time. And he was like, yeah, if you can come, you, you can do this. He had no idea. Like he really thought I wasn't going to show up. Cause I'm sure he's had people, you know, say that stuff before. Um, but I showed up, I was there right on time. We went like four hours of stuff in the morning. And then, uh, you know, he was surprised and took me out to eat. And then he just had talked to me about business and where I was in my area. Um, and ever since then, it's just been like a really, really good friendship. He's a couple of years older than me, but he's kind of like an older brother, you know, you know, older cousin or something like that, that kind of like helps me out. He's, 
you know, business wise, he's always kind of like a couple steps ahead of me. So I always feel like, okay, this is where Reed was, or this is where he was a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get there. So he has definitely helped me. So there's a lot of stuff that I watch. There's a lot of people that I like to connect with daily or weekly that, you know, keep me in check. Um, another guy just connected with, uh, Peter Danlev, 9010 training, just talking social media stuff. He's, uh, doing it at a high level on all fronts. So, um, he and I had just connected and just kind of picking his brain about social stuff. So, yeah. So what do you, out of all those guys, you said, uh, Peter Danlib, you said, uh, yep. DJ Sackman and, and Reed, was it Olson Reed? OC. Yep. OC. OC. What do you, what did you learn from those guys? Because look, man, I just talked to Ben Tier the other day and I respect Ben. He's usually really, really adamant about putting content out there, but he was just talking about slowing down a little bit and respecting how you guys, you talked about J-Law too, how yep. you guys are actually doing all this work. Mike Dunn had some good insight on it too. And I'm curious to know, man, like I asked Mike this, Mike didn't answer it outright. Before I get into the feedback those other trainers gave you, what is your screen time? Like if you were to look at your screen time right now. Oh, it's crazy. It's, <laughs> I think the report, when it tells me I've gone up, I'm like, oh my goodness, man, how could I have gone up? I already put so many hours. It's probably just from editing. Cause you're on there just like, uh, everything's on my phone or I'm recording. It's probably like five, six hours a day. And that's, you know, DMing or editing or posting and, you know, emails. A lot of everything I do is to honestly, it's on my phone. So the screen time is definitely up there. I try to, uh, I try, my guilty pleasure is just watching YouTube videos too. So like if I can't sleep or if I, you know, I'm in a ride that's, you know, a couple hours long, I'll get on there. So that doesn't help the screen time either. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's high for sure. That's actually not as high as I thought you would say. Yeah, it might. Yeah. There's some, Hey, there's some, there's some weeks where it's like six, seven, but um, I'm trying to get it to like five, five would be a good number. Cause right now it's probably in between five and seven. It's usually up yeah. there closer to seven. So. So what are these, what are these guys saying? Read what is Peter? What is DJ? What are they all saying that can help out? other trainers who want to also have that fulfillment and that happiness, but also actually have enough means to continue their effort with the online game. Yeah, it's honestly, it's just growing. It's uh, the social stuff is interesting now too, because, and this is something I was talking to Peter with just about, you know, making revenue off of social media. It, it didn't, you know, it popped up a couple of years ago. It seemed like people with massive followings were kind of the only ones that were doing it, but um, Instagram actually just came out with a monetization option for reels. So Instagram mm -hmm. is paying people for reels at this point. And, and, uh, I did it last month and they just been rolling out every month. So I have been making money off Instagram that like good money. Like I think, you know, the first month it was like a tester and, uh, I want to say the cap was like $800 you can make. Um, and it, I think it goes by views. So it's like one point something million views. And if you reach that, then you, you know, you can make the $800. Um, and one of my videos went, you know, had like a million views just like popped off for no reason and instantly got the 800 was waiting for it to do it the next month. The next month they show me the cap and it's 8,500. So now you can make a basically almost nine grand off of Instagram. And that one was obviously a little bit harder. I think you got to get like 9 million views or something like that. And I think I got like halfway. So I got like 4,500, the same thing this month. So like, and I'm talking to Peter about this, Dan Love, 9010, because he's making a lot of money on TikTok. He's, he's going to make money on Instagram. And it's almost like, okay, you think about this and you're like, how much 
hours do I really, if, if this is the case and this can be consistent and I can build this following, how many hours do I really need to commit to on court? Um, and you know, maybe I can give some of those hours to my assistant that maybe it doesn't make me the full, whatever amount that hour, you know, but it, it can get me off the court a little bit. So it makes those decisions about like taking time off or, you know, having somebody help you that maybe takes a percentage of that workout or that training. Um, it makes those decisions a little bit easier because you know, you have something coming in. So with, with Peter, it was a lot of social stuff. It was like, how do we make money on social media? How do we grow our following? What kind of content are we posting, you know, and what waves are we in? Because I think there's constant waves with social media and what's hitting and what's not. So really trying to pay attention to that. So that, that conversation with Peter was a lot about, you know, driving revenue through social um, with DJ, it was more of like, to be honest, I was with the organization, but when I did the camp and it was a flat salary and we were doing great, like the, the, the organization was making a lot of money in the business or the basketball side of things. A lot of the good kids were coming through there. It was all good. Uh, but the problem was like, for me, if I have that salary cap over my head, it's really hard to like, it's not really hard, but it's just, it's difficult to like, want to grind and be in there forever. And if I have help because I'm salaried and they have the money to you know pay other people, it's, it's easier to be like, Hey, you take the little kids or you take this. Um, so it was just, I got to a point, it was like a year and a half in, I was like, look, this is going really well. Um, but I'm, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of motivation to like really want to be in the gym. And I, I personally love being in the gym. So, um, you know, at the end of that, that road, it was, they wanted me to be involved with like teams and AAU teams and travel. And I just, you know, I wanted nothing to do with that. Uh, so when I had met DJ, it was more like, here is like a path that you could take. And he really pushed me. He really pushed me to, um, to take the leap and think about taking a step away from the organization and the salary and just going back to my own business and doing that again. And that ended up me finding my own space. It made me uncomfortable and pushed me to new things that I didn't know that I would be doing. So DJ was a, just like a, basically an inspiration. You know, he pushed me out of my comfort zone with Reed. It's just a consistent, like, Hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? You know, what are you doing this fall? What are you doing next spring? This is what I'm doing type of thing. Um, him and I, I again talk consistently. So hit him and I convert him and I's conversation are a little bit, uh, more kind of day to day or week to week. Man, that was thorough. I appreciate that. So yeah, let me, let's start with the, um, I guess you mentioned a few things there and I want to ask about the opportunity cost right now, because you opportunity costs, just I had to Google it up because I can't give a very good Webster dictionary, but it's the loss yeah. of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. So basically you may have an assistant, a teammate, somebody who can run your in-person training sessions at your facility while you take a break while you rest, while you go to other trainees games, while you, what are you doing to fill that time? Or are you, are you considering the morning time where you record these videos and I edit in the evening? Like how do you justify that even with the Instagram monetization potential? Yeah. Are you talking about just having a space, like a facility space? Yeah. More so, more so because what I heard you say is I can take some time away from the gym right. and the in-person training sessions. If I have another means like this Instagram or TikTok money coming sure. in. So can you elaborate on that thought, your thought process with that? Yeah. I think, uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's almost like I had to come up with, okay, how many hours, especially in the winter time, because I know the summer is going to be crazy. So in the, in the winter, I'm like, how many hours do I want to commit either in a week or in a day? 
And typically for me, that's like four hours a day, like from 4.30 to 8.30, for an example. Um, to me, that's like a healthy um, balance. Um, and to be honest, like the opportunity costs, I, I look at it, it's hard because you want to look at the numbers, but really I'm looking at it as like, can I just be home with my wife? And can I also, and that's like, that's like weird. Like it's hard to explain because there's no dollar amount. It's just like, okay, I'm home relaxing. Now the hard part is I have to do better job relaxing when I'm home and get off my phone. And like, if I'm actually going to take that time away, then I need to really enjoy it. Um, so it's tough because I, I, to me, finding a balance of how many hours I want to do a day or a week is what I have to do. Um, knowing, cause you know, in the summers can be a little bit busy, but then also, there's just some things where it's like it's it's healthy to be out of the gym and to do a different type of workout or, you know, just to play basketball instead of just teaching and coaching um, and then just being home. I'm, I'm a homebody, so I love being home with my wife. I love just, um, you know, watching movies, just chilling. So um, that's kind of how I justify some of that stuff is like, you know, as, as long as my financial goals are are being met and I'm, you know, making what I want to make a month. Um, while still striving to make more and to grow, I think I'm okay. Um, but it is hard. It's, it's just a balance for me. It's not, it's not simple. So. Sorry, I was talking about you and I are like, I like to chill at home and watch movies yep. with my wife and I like to play. I don't play enough, you know, and that's, yep. you're right. It's hard to quantify that and put a dollar amount on it, but it really is important and it needs to be done. So for yep. you, what is what is your opposition towards development teams and, and the coaching? Is it more of a yeah. I want to coach the athletes, I want to coach? Is it the time imbalance between what you're getting paid versus the time you're spending, all of the above? Yeah. I think uh, I think when I first started, it was all of the above. It was like, okay, you're on the road, you're getting, you know, when I first started, I was just working for another organization and they're paying me whatever to coach the team and you, you balance it out and you're like, dude, I don't even know if I'm making money cause I'm paying for gas and I'm paying for food. Cause I'm, you know, all these things. Um, it was awesome because you could like take a team and you get to take a kid and really lead them. That was the best part. But the hard part is like, you're always away. You're never home. You're putting miles on your car. You're, you're giving people rides. You're helping them out with me. Like there's so many things that go into that, that the, the money thing is if you're doing teams you're really in my area, you're probably not doing it for the money. Um, you're just doing it cause you love the kids. If I had my own son or if I had, you know, a bunch of little kids that I really cared about, I would, you know, I would coach them just locally and help them out. I have no issues with coaching. It's more of like being on the road and doing all the things. Uh, the other thing too, is like, you know, the, and I'm sure it's every area, but the AU teams are very competitive here. Um, and it's, it's not a huge city. So like, if there's five, six teams, there's not that many kids that everybody can play for. So the best players are always, you know, figuring out where they want to play. And then you have those, you know, organization heads that are trying to compete and get those kids to be on their teams. So if I can remove myself from those politics of like recruiting and which team are you playing for? You know, I coach this team, but also I'm trying to train you. I know you play for those guys, but you don't have to play for my team to train. I just wanted to remove myself from that. I don't want parents to feel like that. I don't want the kids to feel like I'm recruiting nothing. So that's why I love having my facility because it's like, you could, you could literally, this is my favorite part of having that gym. You could literally see the relief on these kids faces. They would walk in and it has nothing to do with their, you know, their school team, their AU team, nothing. It was a place where they could just get better and just worry about themselves. And, 
you know, just work on the game with other kids that are good and they can be friends with those kids and they can also compete with those kids, but they don't have to worry about, you know, who's got a scholarship, uh, you know, what team do you play for? How'd you do last weekend? It doesn't matter. Um, that's what the environment that I wanted to create was just a place where people can work on their game. So that's, that's for me, that's why I wanted to remove myself from the team stuff. Not really because of the coaching, a lot to do with the time and the money, but also to do with, you know, I have a business that I have to run. I got to make sure those kids are comfortable in a, in a specific environment. That makes sense. I talked to Ryan Rizuki about that. And I asked a question like, Hey, why some coaches believe in having AAU alongside their, in their business model and train, but others, other trainers are thinking, no, that's literally how I got started helping these other teammates, these, these teams and being agnostic and, and being specific to training and not, feeling like I'm a competitor to these other teams. So right. I, yep. I, I can understand that piece too. And for, for you, what was the, the process for you to find the facility? When did you find it? When did you start looking for it actually? And then when did you find it? So I actually quit that job, that salary job. And, um, you know, I was on the road with one of my pro guys and for like a month and I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself this month while I'm on the road to figure out where I'm going to be rental wise right away, because I knew I wasn't just going to find a facility, build it out in that amount of time. So I said, okay, I got to find a place that's already built that I can hit up and we can just rent. And then I'm going to find that. And then also while I'm doing that, I'm going to try to look at facilities and get a hold of a, you know, a real estate person. So that's exactly what I did. I was on the road for, I think, you know, the whole month of July and come August, I was ready to rent from a facility that I was renting um, from before. Um, and it was a good rental. I mean, they're fair with the price. So I was good with it. And we did that for about a month, you know, and that gave me like, I would say two months or two and a half months to really find a different facility. The tricky part was, um, I didn't know what the heck I was looking for. Uh, and there are resources like you could YouTube and there's people like TJL, Tyler LeClaire. He, you know, he had great resources for me. And I actually texted him a bunch and was asking a bunch of questions. There's other people, but even with those resources, you still have to find that space in your area, which is not easy. So I would say I spent, you know, I had that plan for about two and a half months to find it. And it probably took me another one to really finalize something. I think that two and a half months gave me time to figure out, okay, these are the type of things I'm looking for. This is the person that can help me. This is my price range. And I really nailed that down. And then I, I looked at probably two spaces for about two weeks. And I finally decided, okay, I want to go with this one. Um, and it was like a short-term lease. It's a six months. And then after six months is month by month. Um, it was an easy build out. Uh, it was in a great location. It's right next to another guy that um, does athletic performance that I'm close with. And it's, yeah, we're literally like door to door. So the location was perfect. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of the process was like, I'm on the road. I got to find a, you know, a short-term rental, but in the meantime, after I figure that out, then I got to, you know, find a longer term space. Did you opt for, it looks like it's, it's wood, but is it sport court or is it say, modular resurfacing or is it? Yeah, uh, no, it's, it, it's sport court. And that's kind of a, to be honest, in where I'm from, there's a lot of places that have sport court. So a lot of the kids are used to it. And that that's actually where I started my business on a sport court floor. Um, and you know, I never had issues with the, with the kids and I know obviously woods ideal, but woods a huge maintenance thing. Um, and the vinyl stuff, the, the rubberized stuff is not bad either. Um, but 
my goal was to not be in this space very long. Um, it's been about two months and I'm already looking to find a different space that's a little bit bigger. So <clears throat> the sport court, like I, I literally saw the dude, he like threw it on the floor, clicked it in with his feet. Like it took him 10 minutes. Um, they lay down like a rubber mat. So it's not like, you know, the, the plastic on concrete. So it actually has a little bit of a cushion, which is nice. Um, and I was happy with that. So I was happy with how it feels. You know, I was happy with the cushion underneath and I was happy with how easy it was for these people just to kick it in there. Um, so basically they just put the floor in and then they put the hoops in and then painted the lines and it, it probably took three days and then like a couple extra days for the paint to dry. Um, so the build out was super short and that was something I was looking for was like, okay, I found the space. I can get in there now. When can this dude put this in and how long is it going to take? Um, and I probably only was renting for, you know, from that other space while paying for this lease space for about a week. So signing that lease, you know, and waiting for the build out, that was the part that like lining those times up was like a big headache because I was like, and in ordering the hoops, there's a backup on the hoops and there's like these time mm -hmm. things. I was like, okay, I'm signing October one. Um, he's telling me that, you know, I could get the hoops in October three. Uh, and then he can click the floor. And like, I really tried to time that out. And I only had probably spent a week paying rent at the other place. So I was happy with it. It was a, it was a close enough timeline for me to be good with it. Just about to say like, man, that's, that's great. One week. I mean, people usually yeah. paying, especially with the construct, the labor market right now and construction and the everything going on in the, in the supply chain, one week could have been four, could have been six, could have been yeah. much worse. So yeah, for yep, you yep. and I, and, and no, the sport court, I've, I've talked to a lot of guys who, who actually build out courts and they actually vouch for them. And they do both. They do wood, they do the modular resource purposing the, the sport court. And honestly, most of the players that they know prefer to play on some of the sport court because the wood, especially if it's portable, doesn't have as much give, you know, no. especially the guys in the league. I and mean, then you got pros too. I'm sure if you ask them, I would be curious if you ask them which one they actually prefer, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah I think, I think I, well, I, I had a, a guy that had like an old wood floor, um, but we're looking at the facility. I'm like, dude, I don't know that it would be smart to put this in here. Um, and it, it was like, you know, he bought it from a, a local uh, D1 college out here. It was their old practice floor and it just clicks in. It's just like, you know, the big squares. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, if that gets wet or if I, if the surface isn't flat, because a lot of these, um, a lot of these little warehouses have that drain that kind of like goes in the middle. And you right. don't always have flat floors. So then you got to put the stints in. Um, and mine did not have that, but that was a concern was like, I think just for the time being, we're going to have to go with this. Um, and it, the tricky part is, I don't know that this would be a long-term situation for pro guys. And, and that's really like, you know, I did the pro thing for a little bit and I'm happy with it, but I love to work with the kids. So like my business and my clients are mostly, you know, college kids and, and down. So um, if there were a pro in this area that needed to do something or I, you know, we would either be traveling or we'd find a different, um, high school or something in here to work with them. So yeah, the, the wood is ideal, but it's not, uh, it's not always the best situation business-wise. Right. Especially if you're going to be there for six months or 12 months yeah. and it's permanent and you can't pick it up and move. What right. are you, how do you, how many square feet? So what's the square footage there and how do you manage the group training sessions in the yeah. space you have. 
And that, that I literally had to walk in there and like, okay. If, and I had one of my buddies with me. I'm like, okay, you go there. I go there. Let's say that's the wing. This is the wing. We were like mapping out workouts and like, okay, if you attack from that side, can we get a line going from this side? And if I'm on this elbow, can you be on that elbow? That was the biggest thing. So it's a, it's a 26 by 75 foot space. So, and, and Ryan Rizuki was a, a guy that I reached out to and his is actually a little bit smaller. So if you see his space, like the three point lines on the wall, you know, and his hoops aren't as far away from the, from the wall, which is something I wanted to do. So mine is uh, 75 by 26. Um, the actual court space is 50, I want to say 53 by 26. So we can have a full high school three-point line, like a full like width of a high school court, 50 feet or just a normal court. Um, and then on that high school line, you probably have two feet before the wall. So you can actually shoot um, like top of the key threes, which I was happy with. And then on the other hoop, you go basically wing to wing. That's kind of the width that you can get to with 26 feet. So you can actually have actions coming off both wings. You can use both elbows. So when we do our sessions, I try to keep my groups from six and under. If, if that's high level college or high school kids, I'll try to keep it to four. Cause it's just better that way. Um, and I was like, super like mindful and concerned about this stuff, but then you get the kids in there and they don't, they just don't care. They, yeah. they, you know what I mean? It's like, they love right. it. They, they, they like to be that close. And I actually like to have kids that close rather than way over there on the other side of the half court and having to go between. I like, actually like having them um, closer. Um, obviously a little bit bigger would be ideal, but, uh, so basically we go wing to wing, we go on the elbows, we go both top keys. Um, we don't do a lot of actions out of the corner, um, unless it's a smaller group. Um, but with our style, it's a lot of skill stuff, but it's also a lot of live play situational stuff. So, um, it works really well for us, but yeah, that was the tricky part was like, okay, I got 75 feet, but only 50 of it or 53 of it. It can actually be court this other side. Um, we put uh, basically just the rubberized mats down for kids to uh, stretch out and, and parents to sit in. There's a little office when you walk in and then there's a bathroom along that wall as well. But my wife actually does cycle and yoga. So we have a bunch of cycle bikes in there and then um, she does yoga as well. So on the weekends and some really early mornings, she'll have some classes. Uh, she can fit like, I want to say like, you know, nine or eight people in a cycle class. And then if she wants to use the whole floor, she could fit, you know, 20 people doing yoga if she wanted. So, um, we're happy with the space, but it's, it's probably a little bit time. It's time to get a, a, a little bit bigger. That's the right way to do it. I mean, I saw that when I look at your site that she did that. And I was wondering like, where did she do that? And it's op it's great that you guys have the space to, to both do that yeah. aside from each other, right by each other question for you. So when you, a lot of questions, actually a lot of trainers are asking questions in the, in the group right now, which I'm appreciative of for you, when you were moving into the space, going from high schools, middle schools, having full court, maybe six goals to having the two and, you know, the wing to wing elbow to elbow and that space you're in right now, did you have to account for that and increase prices because you had less capacity for the training yep. or how does that justification work? Yeah. So I actually, I came from the Sanford Pentagon, which is like, I don't know if you've ever seen the games on the Pentagon that's this massive facility. So like it has, I want to say six courts, six full like high school courts on the outside. It's like a, it's just like a shape of a Pentagon. And then in the inside um, they have, or excuse me, it's nine courts, not six. And then in the inside they have three NBA courts. So I went from like one of the nicest facilities in the, uh, in the country uh, to like 
a warehouse and I was like expecting my kids to follow and be happy with it. So, um, that is something a hundred percent that we had to do was, okay, if we're going to have less people, cause I think over at the other facility, we we're doing like groups of eight, right. Or even a group of 10. Um, and I like those groups as a trainer because you can get more done and you can play more live stuff, but it's a little bit less intimate. So when you have uh, smaller groups, you can kind of on a business side, pitch that intimacy with like, Hey, I'm going to be right next to your kid. This is a group of four. It's basically like a private session, um, which is something that we accounted for. And we said, okay, if our groups are smaller, we have to charge a little bit more. Otherwise we're going to have to do more hours. And that is not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to keep my hours. And in fact, I wanted to work less, which is what I'm doing. So I think our group sizes went up. Um, and then we offered some like memberships and stuff like that to kind of drive the cost up as well, but, or drive that cost down from that just single session group session. But, um, that is definitely something we had to do was increase the prices just a little bit. But then, you know, when we did that, we're like, okay, we know this is a little bit spendy. Um, we have to have some sort of option for memberships. And that actually drove a lot of memberships and a lot of packages. Um, and even those were probably a little bit higher than some of our competitors. Uh, but again, we're, we are pitching that detail and the intimacy and, and being right there with your kid and having more of a smaller um, group of people uh, that we can actually see a lot of progress. So we have, we have a good solid like chunk of kids that come through there. Um, but they come consistently, like a lot of them will come like three or four times a week. So it's, I'm happy with that. I actually would prefer that. It's not a situation where like we have all these courts and these massive spaces and we can have like 200 people come or, you know, in a week or whatever it is. Um, it's more smaller and it's, uh, it's easier for me to handle kind of by myself and with help of a couple other people, but it was something we had to do. That's a really good question. We had to, uh, raise the prices at least a little bit. And how many times are they allowed to come? Can you explain what a package is, if you don't mind? Yep, uh, yep. So there's, we have... I'm looking at on time right there too. So let's go if you can't, five minutes. Okay. We had, a, we had a single session that you can get for $45. So you can be in a group of like four to six for 45 bucks. And then you can get a, a four pack for $40. So they could come anytime they want four times they could do that four in a row or four days of the first week and then buy another four pack if they wanted or they could just come once a week and then we started with unlimited workouts and it did well for a while but then we're like all right we have to we can't have you guys coming in every single day so then basically what we did we we scrunched that down to 10 a month so you can get like a 10 a month membership and then that's i think like 37 or 35 bucks a workout um and right now that's still good, but I could see that even having to go down a little bit too, um, unless we find a, a bigger space. Got it. Okay. And I got another question from a trainer, whatever you're comfortable with sharing in terms of uh, the numbers, if you break it down to like a 2000 foot, like square court foot with the courts and, and everything else, let's include the goals, let's include the installation. Yep. What are you looking at per square foot in terms of the cost for the build out, the labor, the goals, the sport court? what's the ballpark number for that? So the hoops were 1300. We got two of them. Uh, the wall pads were free because they're damaged and we duct taped them black and it, you couldn't even tell. Um, the sport court was, I think around nine grand, but since I was going to be in there a short period of time, I asked him if he had, and this is what I would suggest to anybody ask them if you have any other used stuff or secondhand stuff that maybe 
isn't too worn out. So he had some stuff that he used for an event. He used it two times. And I was like, okay, can I just feel it and look at it? It was like still in the box. I was like, this is fine. He let me have that as at a discount, but then um, he also offered me to pay for it monthly. So since I knew I was going to be in this little space for about six months, I'm paying $400 a month just to have the floor in there. Um, and then installation was, you know, I think on all the project was probably uh, $12,000. dollars um, yeah, it's crazy. But then, you know, and that's, that's doesn't count for the floor. The floor is 400 a month, but the build out the installation, right. everything like that to get the down payment uh, for the first month and all that stuff for the, for the lease was probably about 12 grand um, to get me in there. Okay. Okay. I was thinking about that. And, and what kind of amortization is that in terms of the sport court? They want 10 years, five years is usually 20. It's, just month of, it's literally just month to month. month, this month. Guy gave okay. Me, yeah. And, and it. it's something that I, I told this guy, I was like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to upgrade. And he, he just wanted yeah. to help me out. And he was already making money on the installation and everything like that. So. Got it. Man, that's, you're going to have trainers all over the world. <laughs> getting well, I was really like, like, I, I, I think, I think the biggest thing was like, when we were talking about like getting in there with a week's extra time in the other place, like I was really like crunching timelines and crunching numbers. And I think if people want to do this, like, honestly, I told this to another person, if you're from an area like mine, or maybe there's another space, you know, other areas that have spaces like this, this is like the best thing. I think a young trainer that maybe has a couple of years under his belt that can do it. Like if you can save 10 to $20,000 and then have more, obviously to live off of that, if you can save that amount of money. You can really just like have your own gym. If you wanted, the thing is, is like, you're going to have to expand. You got the AC, you got the heating, you got all these other issues that maybe you don't deal with. But if this is one of your goals, it's definitely doable. And it's, it's something that I was going through and I was like, I didn't even know it would be this easy, to be honest. Like, I know it was kind of stressful to get the timeline stuff done, but like, as far as the money stuff goes, like we earned that back in, you know, a month, you know, half a month. So like it, it wasn't uh, too stressful money wise. Um, and the other thing that I think the ceilings are like 20 feet high. Um, there's a little office space. We don't really use it. We just let the kids kind of put their shoes in there. So it has a bathroom, it has heating. So it's literally you walk in and it's a gym and um, my concern obviously was coming from that great facility, coming to this space, but the kids, like, they love you. They love your training. They want to be with you. They want to hang out with you. They want to spend their time with you. They want to get away from all this other stuff. So they did, they just didn't care. Obviously as a, as a person or a business owner, I want their experience to be better. So trying to get them in a better space is my goal as well. Shane, I appreciate your insight and your willingness to be vulnerable and share a lot of this information. And we got trainers in the group right now saying, wow, I appreciate the insight. Love your new space. Mark Kinnebrew, Eric Trujillo. Yeah, Mark's uh, a good dude, man. I, actually, Mark Kinnebrew was a guy that I talked to a lot about fitting the woods because he, I don't know, you should, you should talk to him. I'm sure you have. He put that little wood cord in like a little space just like mine. So and documented sure, it like 30 days. Like, yeah, hey, no, I was tuned in every day too. I don't know <laughs> if he knew that, but every day he posted, I was like locked into that. He's an OG, man. He's great people. So Shane, man, thank you again for coming out. Hopefully we can have you back on the podcast again. For in sure, the man. Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode. And I will catch you on the next one.